0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Proverbs, this time in Proverbs chapter 6, our first look at Proverbs chapter 6 this morning. We'll uh, get away from the, uh, the sexual stuff for a while. It'll come back. In, uh, oh, about chapter 24, there's that evil woman again and the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And so uh, 24 down through 35, we'll be back into some of those topics again. But for the first few verses, we've got other issues to deal with, including finances, including bad business arrangements, and uh, other practical matters that will derail a believer almost as fast as strange women. All right, so uh, we've got to deal with those as well. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Make sure we are filled with the Spirit. The distractions are set aside. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your Word and the blessing we have this morning to assemble together. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time, Father, that you would open the eyes of our understanding shape and direct our thinking father bless our time in the glorification of your son for it is in his name that we pray amen all right proverbs chapter six my son if you have become surety for your neighbor have given a pledge for a stranger if you have been snared with the words of your mouth have been caught with the words of your mouth do this then my son and deliver yourself Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right, that's probably further than we'll get today. (laughs) But there's five verses, and that's what starts the chapter. It moves on from there. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways. A couple of issues, of course, that will wreck you financially include uh, laziness, and we'll get to that in verses 6 through 11. If you are a vagabond, the Bible will call you a vagabond, and uh, we have that in verse 11. I realize uh, our culture no longer accepts terms like vagabond or vagrants or hobos or bums or things like that. Um, We're much more genteel in our terminology, I think, related to the vagabonds of our culture, the Bible though uh, was written before all that political correctness and, and the Word of God, the unchanging word of God, uh, calls laziness laziness, and the uh, judgment upon the lazy is the consequences of that laziness and we'll we 'll deal with that before we get to the laziness we 've got the uh, the slavery, the financial slavery of these bad business deals in uh, verses one through five, and that 's what we 've got to start off with so in chapter 6 this is point 1 in the new outline remember we start a new outline with every chapter so back to point 1 again in chapter 6 david's parental wisdom to solomon turns to financial matters turns to financial matters it's not all sex all the time all right if you're t- talking to teenagers that's a big part of it but there's other things they need to have a handle on before they leave the home and before they enter into adult capacity and if they're not uh physically if they're not financially disciplined as teenagers in the home then they're going to be undisciplined as adults on their own and that's going to lead into trouble and so there are financial matters that are a part of the upbringing of a child and preparing them for adult capacity and that's what we see here so in chapter six david's parental wisdom to solomon turns to financial matters the first admonition is a warning against the financial entanglements of others The first admonition is a warning against the financial entanglements of others. And this is the problem here. You end up being snared. You end up becoming surety for a neighbor and giving a pledge for a stranger. And we have to talk about both of these issues. They're really the same issue repeated twice. But financial entanglements of others. What is it that binds us? What is it uh, if if, uh, our own financial problems are... Existent. <laughs> Why then do I want to add on top of that somebody else's financial troubles? And now I've got I've just multiplied financial troubles, my own plus theirs. And what am I really doing when I'm binding these things together financially? Is this what God has designed for me, for my wife, for my children, for my family? At what point? And, and so much of this actually is going to become a discussion related to neighbors as opposed to strangers as opposed to brothers and the terminology that we have here in verse one is neighbor and stranger no terminology with respect to brother or with respect to family and we'll discuss that why is it that in god's economy that we have uh, a financial unity with respect to the family the clan the tribe but, as far as the neighbor and the stranger is concerned, we don't want to link those together. In fact, linking families together is what you do when you give your son in marriage or you give your daughter in marriage, and uh, that any of the links, the financial links become family links by the act of the marriage of the of the uh, of the children. And so uh, we'll see it here. All right. So this is verses 1 through 5. The first admonition is a warning against the financial entanglements of others. The second admonition we'll get into in verses 6 and following is ant imitation. All right? Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. So stop being a slug and become an ant. All right? Get busy with it and uh, don't be a slug. So uh, ants and slugs coming up. But we've got to start with this. First of all, become surety for your neighbor. What does it mean to be surety? And uh, the poetry in these verses, by the way, is parallelism and it's, it's a synthetic or what they call um, synonymous parallelism. It's not a contrast in the two halves, it's a repetition in the two halves. And so the first half of verse 1 says the same thing that the second half of verse 1 says. It's just saying it twice to emphasize it and make the point sometimes in hebrew poetry it's a contrast sometimes it's a parallel sometimes it's an intensification and uh, what we have here is in parallel the same thing being said twice so if you have become surety for your neighbor or have clapped your hands or shaken hands and given a pledge for a stranger all right it's the same thing being said twice in other words the neighbor is the stranger. And we'll we'll prove that, we'll demonstrate that with some of the parallel texts that we're going to look at. Same thing in verse 2, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. What's the difference between being snared and being caught? Okay, well they're largely synonymous, but they're repeated for emphasis, and I think that it double intensifies it. Um, You're snared and you're caught (laughs) when it comes down to it. It's a trap, and Unless you get out of it, death is the is the consequence, like a bird in a trap that 's why it says here, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter 's hand or like a bird from the hand of a fowler if you 're in somebody 's hand, that 's not a good place to be they 're fixing to kill you to eat you that 's what a hunter does the The hunter doesn't have you the bird in its hand because he's a, he's a he's a bird you know, lover, or he's, he, he wants to make you a pet or whatever. He, he the, the hunter has you in his hands because he's fixing to wring your neck. And uh, and as soon as you're dead, then he's going to slit your throat and drain your blood and then start to fillet you and, and cook you. And uh, you don't want to be there. Absolutely don't want to be there. And that's the application. All right. So surety. Become surety for your neighbor. And I don't know there is somehow a link between Arabs and surety, and I'm not sure why, all right? But the, uh, the trilateral Ayan Reish and Baith, has about three or four dominant realms in which it can apply, and the Arab, the r- geographical realm of Arabia, or the, uh, the uh, people group that we call Arabs. All right? That's one facet of Arav. There's also a facet of Arav that speaks of evening or, or sunset. There's an aspect of Arav that speaks of what we're talking today in terms of a pledge or a, uh, a, a duty. So the verb, let's just take the verb number 6148. It's the verb Arav. And I prefer to uh, pronounce it with the A-A ah combination of the vowels. Not everybody does. But the A-A In other words, it's two A's, a long A and a short A. L'Arav. And you start by closing your throat and choking. L'arav, Okay? 6148 with 17 Old Testament uses. And it uh, can be used to take on a pledge, to be the pledge, to give a pledge, to offer security. In one way or the other, you are participating in financial debt. You are, you are participating in a financial obligation. The pledge is a promise. The pledge is a commitment. And you're on the hook once you arrive yourself, all right? And uh, it's one thing to arav on your own behalf. It's another thing to arav on behalf of your wife, on behalf of your children, um, on behalf of your immediate family. It's, uh, it's an entirely different matter. Okay, We're going to talk about that, the distinctions here. Uh, this, this passage, by the way, is not hostile to credit. It's not hostile to debt. It's not hostile to uh, capitalism. I think it's very much supportive of capitalistic principles, all right, as far as business arrangements are concerned and the structuring of financial obligations is concerned. What it's hostile to is the wrong partners in that debt, the wrong partners in that investment, all right? And so, remember, not all debt is consumer debt. Not all debt is is uh, the wrong kind of debt. We'll we'll probably deal with this, not just in this chapter, but in upcoming chapters. But when you tie your resources down, when you are setting aside funds and now you don't have access to those funds, a lot of times we call that savings. Savings. (laughs) all right? You purchase a a CD and you've got it locked in for six months or a year or three years or five years or whatever it is. You have set aside funds and you have locked it down. That's araf. okay? You're committed. You have have, uh, taken a pledge or given in pledge or you have bound yourself financially for a consideration, okay? And in biblical terms, uh, you are redeeming what god has blessed you with and jesus told those men that don't just bury it in the sand at the very least put it in the bank get some interest off of it make productive use out of the resources god has given you and that's the fundamental aspect of anything god has given you so this uh proverb six is not you know, you'll read it though you read commentaries and you'll read anti capitalists and socialists and communists and other bible haters that will try to use passages like this to say see uh capitalism is evil all right not what the passage says passage says don't be unequally yoked and that's what uh i think in harmonious with uh with first corinthians All right, so here's our verb, Arav, 6148. Now, I'm going to start with the Proverbs uses of this, and then we'll back up and get some of the other uh, historical uses of this that uh, should make good sense for us. So starting here is our first use in Proverbs, Proverbs 6.1. Obviously, it is with a do-not prohibition, okay? Um, The fact is, well, we don't have the do-not, but if you have, get out of it. That's the point. If you have done this, If you have, stop. Don't do that again. Get out of that. That's the whole issue here. Uh, Since this is the consequences now, humble yourself, importune your neighbor, get out of this, deliver yourself. Deliver yourself. Why is it in verse 3 we're told deliver yourself? Verse 5 we're told deliver yourself. Okay? Okay? This, this ought to slap us upside the head and say, wait a minute, I don't like those, that language. <laughs> I'm a Bible student, I don't like the, the language of go save yourself. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm one who loves the language of I have saved you, trusting Christ. <laughs> I like the idea that God is the one who delivers, God is the one who rescues. But this is an application whereby we have the self-deliverance imperative, the self-deliverance mandate. And in very blunt terms, God is making clear that he's not pleased with this arrangement. Get yourself out of it, because you put yourself into it. God didn't put you into it. You put yourself into it. You became surety for your neighbor. You gave a pledge for a stranger. You co-signed a note for a, a Ferrari, and you don't even know the guy. Okay? How stupid are you? (laughs) <laughs> okay why are you cosigners on this lamborghini uh financing and it's not even your lamborghini you don't even know who the guy is what are you doing all right so you see why this is destructive why it's problematic all right so that's the first use next use will come in proverbs 11:15. and by the way you notice the parallelism on this i'll go ahead and put it up the uh, the second half of this clapping your hands for a stranger um, contains many of these very same proverbs we're looking at in the first vocabulary. So don't worry about writing it down yet. We'll talk about it next, but I'll just put it up there. The uh, given a pledge is the clasping of the. It's like our handshake. It's the, the clapping of the of the not the whole hand. It's not yod for hand, but it's it's the uh, kaf. It's the hollow of the hand. It's the hollow of the foot. It's the hollow of a lot of things. And uh, so if you're clapping the hand that's the that's the seal the seal of the uh of the deal all right so in proverbs 11:15 then we have both of these expressions again in parallelism proverbs 11:15 he who is guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it you're the guarantor you're the one that uh, co-signs you're the one that says hey if they can't cover it Bring the bill to me. Oh, I, uh, I'm the guarantor. So who, he who is a guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it. But he who hates being a guarantor is secure. Ah, here's a positive application of hate. <laughs> it's not a hate crime. It's a, it's a hate uh, recommendation, all right? And you should hate being the guarantor for the wrong object, for the wrong connection, and the wrong business dealings, okay? We'll discuss what's the right venue, what's the wrong venue. When should I be under an obligation, okay? I'll give you a clue. It's when you are anyway. (laughs) When you are spiritually obligated anyway. Don't sweat the finances. It's the spiritual obligation. And then what comes with that is a financial obligation, but it starts with a spiritual obligation. So there's a clue. All right, and there's a verse that has both the guarantor and guarantor. All right, Um, both the uh, arav and the takah with the kaf combination. Um, Besides chapter 11, we go next to chapter 17. Trying to see if there's anything else. There is larger context around each of these verses, but We'll let that go until we reach that chapter. How about that? Proverbs 17. and verse 18. Has both our A vocabulary and our B vocabulary. The A vocabulary is a point A is the Arav. And the B vocabulary is under point B is the kaf that we have in this combination. All right, Proverbs 17, 18. A man lacking in sense. Okay? Here's Knucklehead. We, we see him, this is the, the young man lacking sense that's hanging out by the whorehouse, that's, going, that's looking for those uh, you know, loose women and, and whatever else. Uh, well, you can lack uh, self-control, and that applies itself sexually, financially, in your appetite, in your drunkenness, whatever else. You're lacking sense. And God wants to pound that sense into you. Parents want to pound that sense into you. Where you are sober minded and self disciplined and and uh so forth, anyway, if you don't have the financial sense that God gave a billy goat, this is it, okay, A man lacking sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor, like were you thinking okay and this is a good passage here too, because um Oh, there's so much in this, but this is a passage where we're going to see, we'll be back in this chapter before you know it, because there's a contrast between brothers and neighbors. There's a contrast between brothers and friends. And if you peek to verse 17 of the same chapter, what do we have? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We have the relationship between a friend and a brother, and then the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, that uh, is promised to us as well. So stay tuned as we talk about these issues. All right, chapter uh, 20. I'm sorry? I I can't hear what you're saying. All right, I'm not hearing any of that, so I'm just going to keep teaching. Remember, all the acoustics go that way in this room. All right. Am I confusing everybody? Uh, I'm I'm up here somewhere. All right. Okay. See, I shouldn't have done that. I thought it would be helpful if I showed you. Maybe I, I'm not being helpful. But if I showed you that, look, we're looking at Proverbs six one here, and there's Proverbs six one there. Proverbs eleven fifteen here, there's Proverbs eleven fifteen there. Seventeen, eighteen. all right. Now this is one that doesn't have a parallel, but this one does, and that one does not. Okay. Of course, right now, people listening to the MP3 file are totally confused. Yeah, your fault, should have been in church. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 16. Oh, it's a fun chapter. Um, Do not love sleep or you'll become poor. That's verse 13. This will clearly be connected to the sluggard uh, issues that we get into here shortly. Um, open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with food. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, he boasts. This is the guy who is negotiating in the marketplace. And, oh, this is a bad deal, this is a bad deal. and Oh, I can't believe you're ripping me off, you're ripping me off. And then you, you finally settle on a price and you, then you go home and brag about what a great price you got. Um, all right. Verse 15, there is gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. Verse 16, take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Why would you do this? Why would you take his garment? And um, are you going to kick him when he's down? What are you going to do? He's become surety for a stranger. So you're going to take his garment and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Whose side are you on anyway? we'll talk about this why is it that when the jews gave loans to the other jews they weren't drawing interest and even when they loaned to gentiles they had to be reasonable in the interest uh, usury is a sin in the old testament not financing not debt not uh, capital investment but usury uh, the 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 uh, victimization of people that have no other choice that is not what pleases God in our in our business dealings, and uh, so we want to be legitimate in, uh, bankers with integrity. We don't want to be the uh, the loan sharks that are preying upon people in their uh, in their tough circumstances. All right, so we'll talk about that as well. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. So it's not just what we do; it's how we do it, and. Uh, All these principles we'll get into when we get to chapter 20. Okay, chapter 22 and verse 26. Proverbs 22 and verse 26. Do not be. Well, let's see. Again, we've got uh, a bad way to live here. Verse 22 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. So if you want to victimize victims and make them even bigger victims, look out. God will defend them and, and you're putting yourself in a position of judgment. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. You find out if he has no self-control and there's going to be a lot of consequences there. Or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you becoming the guarantor for debts? If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? (laughs) All right. You know, your own financial house has to be in order. Why are you trying to take on the duties of somebody else? That's really what it's going to come down to when we see the improper linking of these houses. And the last one is then uh Proverbs 27:13. Proverbs 27:13. Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for an adulterous woman hold him in pledge. Man, really? <laughs> I want to do that? Why would I do that? All right, well, we'll get to those issues there. Some of these, um, well, we'll talk about when we get to those far. And some of these, it's uh, not really sarcasm, but it's it's uh, it's presenting, you're, you're wrong anyway, so might as well be totally wrong in different ways. And we're going to have some fun with it when we get that far. In any event. All right, so those are the places in Proverbs. And in every single one of them, have we seen a positive use yet? <laughs> Have we seen arav used in a way that we go, wow, okay, that's good, I want to do that? No. And because every time this verb is used, it's being applied with strangers, it's being applied with uh, adulteresses, it's being applied with uh, angry men or foolish men, it's being applied in just a bad, bad circumstance. And so there is an immoral process at work, and I'm going to tie myself financially with this? What am I doing? Am I, am I viewing this as an opportunity? Is that what I'm really doing? To connect myself with immoral people because I can make a quick buck off of it? What am I doing? And so that becomes uh, the issue there. Now, these other passages, I think we can find some historical uses. Of course, Job and Psalms are both uh, poetic passages. Let's back up now and get Psalm 119, 122. Here's the psalmist in Psalm 119. I like this. Psalm 119, 122. This is the I-N file. He says in verse 121, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. So here's a use of Arav where the psalmist is calling upon Yahweh himself to be his guarantor, to be his surety, to be his... Uh, deposit as it were. He wants Yahweh to be his for good. Okay. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. And so he uses a banking term. He uses a, a financial term that says, okay, here's the, here's the deposit. Here's the, here's the funds that are in escrow to guarantee something. And uh, he says, as far as I'm concerned, God, you're all the, you're all the escrow I ever need. <laughs> you're all the surety I ever need. You are my surety. And it's a tremendous, I think it's an application of uh, of faith rest beyond anything else. All right, Job 17.3. Continuing to back up, Job 17.3. Continuing, uh, this is Job in this chapter. My spirit is broken, my days are extinguished, the grave is ready for me. Surely mockers are with me, and my eye gazes on their provocation. Lay down now a pledge for me with yourself. Who is there that will be my guarantor? For you have kept their heart from understanding, therefore you will not exalt them. He who informs against friends for a share of the spoil, the eyes of his children also will languish and i think this goes very well with what we're looking at in proverbs the idea that there's predators out there and they see somebody when they're down they realize hey we can uh, we can do this we can we can profit off of this he who informs against friends for a share of the spoil is that what you're doing you're going to participate in that all right then the rest of these, I think, we can take in order. So let's back up to Genesis and take Genesis, Second Kings, and Nehemiah in a forward direction. Genesis forty-three nine. Now yeah, here's a fun one. We can combine uh, sex with surety. <laughs> you thought we got away from the sex stuff when we wrapped up Proverbs chapter five. Well, Genesis forty-three. oh no 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 i'm I'm confusing this I'm confusing this I was thinking this way we there's a there's a cognate form to this that um when you're talking about uh, Judah and tamar his daughter in law and she he had to leave her with a token um when he committed the harlotry with her and um I did not include those verses on this slide, so all right it's not the verb, it's a token that refers to the pledge. That uh, he left her with a token, and um, anyway, I just I decided it was too much to get into for one for one morning. Is she okay, Doug? You want to check on her? All right. Get concerned. All right. Genesis forty three nine. I tell you, the demons are prowling. this is actually a good use. Uh, This is Judah. And then remarkably enough, because Judah is the same Judah that was giving the pledge to his daughter-in-law. But here's now Judah, years later, giving himself in pledge in the right way, okay? In a a favorable way, in a way that's spoken of biblically as appropriate. And um, they know they have to go back to Egypt. They know they have to uh, if they don't obtain the food that's in Egypt then they're not going to live they need that food or they're going to die. The famine is severe through all the land and the only place with food is Egypt. And the only person that controls the food in Egypt is Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph but that's, that's the reality of this. And so they made one trip already and now they are got to make this other trip and the uh, problem is, is Simeon's being held hostage and, and he's going he's to lose Benjamin at this point. That's the, uh, that's the fear anyway. And so um, Israel here, Jacob, says, no, you are not going to go down. You're not going to take your brother with you. And the, the boys are all saying, we've got to take our brother. If we don't take him, then we're not going to get food. And we're not going to get Simeon back. And so, uh, verse eight. Judah said to his father Israel, "Send the lad with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die. We, as well as you and our little ones." Now, the emphasis he's making here is the emphasis on family. I can't stress that enough. Family. We're not talking strangers. We're not talking neighbors. We're talking family. We're talking brothers and wives and children and the the necessity of the of the family to support each other. That is a biblical obligation. He says, I myself will be Arav, I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. And the link between surety and responsibility is huge. See, the problem with Arav when it's not appropriate is because there's no legitimate responsibility. Why are you binding yourself when there's no legitimate responsibility? Okay? And in, in so many ways, this is the financial parallel to all the fornication stuff from the previous chapter. Why are you binding yourself when there's no responsibility? All right. So I will be, hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. And so he is, he is assuming full charge for this duty. Likewise in chapter 44, one chapter later same context and uh, now Judah is speaking to Joseph, doesn't know it's Joseph yet and uh, Joseph is now has arranged things to have Benjamin arrested and keep Benjamin in Egypt with him and send the brothers back to Canaan without without Benjamin. And uh, Joseph doesn't know. Joseph doesn't know if if Jacob's still alive. Joseph, as far as Joseph knows, he's saving Benjamin's life right here. And um, anyway, in the defense, now Judah has to stand and and take the take the responsibility. He has to stand before Joseph and and uh, lay it out there. He's, he's fulfilling his vow to his father now standing before Joseph. And so um, he tells him in verse 30, Now therefore when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant our father down to Sheol and sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. So he's he's testifying to Joseph what he had told Jacob. Now therefore, please let your servant remain, instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord. You know what, what this is. Ju- Judah is a type of Christ. Judah is willing to take the penalty of his brother, to take the place of his brother to identify with his brother. He's doing so as an obligation. He's doing so as a surety, as a debt. Let the lad go up with his brothers. He's willing to be the kinsman redeemer. He's willing to be the the surety, the guarantor. He's willing to pay the price on behalf of his brother. And he's doing so in sacrificial love for the sake of his old man, for the sake of of his uh, father Jacob up there in, uh, in Canaan. And this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is, this is the episode now whereby Joseph can't hold it in any longer. He sees the Christ. He sees the, the sacrificial love. He sees the, the redemption. He sees all the grace. He sees in Judah what he never saw in Judah years ago. But he sees it now. So um, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He has a complete spiritual emotional roller coaster breakdown right here in, in uh, no wonder he told all the Egyptians to leave the room. <laughs> okay? The Egyptians don't need to see this. This is between brothers. And that's the point. By the time we work our way through these first five verses of Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to be very clear on who's a brother and who's not. On who's a, who's, who's a neighbor and who's a stranger. This is family matters. This is family business. And we handle business within the family. It's like the church family. We handle church family business within the church family. And outside the church family, it's none of their business. All right. And so he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. And uh, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? So he didn't believe it. He could not believe it until he saw the sacrificial love of, uh, of Judah who would uh, become a slave to spare his father the, the uh, sorrow. Is my brother, is my father still alive? Really? And his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. <laughs> you know, They threw him down a well. They tried to kill him. They left him for dead. They sold him off into slavery. Yeah, that's always awkward when people you thought you had sold into slavery come back and now they're... Uh... <laughs> but notice, this is a very favorable episode in chapter 43 and chapter 44. The surety here is not a bad thing it is it is reflective of the the spiritual reality that was there anyway the duty that we have before the lord to our family okay that's biblical that's as of course that's biblical the financial thing is just on top of it second kings 18:23 there's another use second kings 18 This is one we had recently in the Isaiah series. And uh, I could have added some other references too because uh, the verb is used in Isaiah, it's used in Jeremiah and some of the prophets. But I think out of the 17 Old Testament uses, I ended up giving you 14 of them or 12 of them or something, quite a few. All right, 2 Kings eighteen twenty-three. This is the taunting. Remember, the general was outside the gates and taunting Hezekiah to surrender. He says, now therefore, come, make a bargain, make a pledge with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. Okay? More bragging, more uh, taunting. Judah can't put 2,000 horsemen on, on that many horses, but you know. That's uh, kind of the least of Sennacherib's armies. Yeah, I'll give you a small little cavalry contingent here. you got 2,000 riders. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, there's uh, a term. Now obviously this is not a positive use, this is a negative use. Why do I want to unequally yoke? Why do I want to bind myself in a treaty with uh, Sennacherib or with uh, the uh, Assyrians? A very negative use. Finally, Nehemiah 5.3. the second shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. Yeah, all right, Nehemiah. Chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5, there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons, and our daughters are many, therefore let us, grant, uh, l- let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields. And the term mortgaging there is our verb today, is our, is our Arav terminology. We are binding. We are pledging. Um... In other words, we're putting up our very fields and vineyards and houses as the collateral for um, our, uh, our 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 grocery bill. Wait a minute, what are we doing? I'm going to sign my house over at Ichi Beach just so I can get groceries this week. That's not good, <laughs> okay? We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get green because of the famine. Also, there were those who said we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. It comes time to pay your tax every year and now you've got to get, you get some kind of a loan. You, gotta, you, know, you can't even pay your taxes. So I guess you put your taxes on your credit card or something. You've got to borrow more money to pay, pay these taxes. What are we doing? Our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. What is our, what is our national debt doing in, in the United States of America right now? We're forcing our sons and our grandsons into slavery. They will never pay off $18 trillion. Ten of which just in the last eight years. Behold. All right. So Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words, and I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles. I love that. <laughs> I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury each from his brother. And that violates Mosaic law. That violates God's standard of righteousness. Therefore I held the great assembly against them and I said, anyway, there's a proper application here. We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. You know, w- what took them to captivity in the first place? Now they're going to come back from captivity and they're going to, anyway, they're going to defy the Lord. And again, I said, The thing which you are doing is not good should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Give back to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain and the new wine, the oil you're exacting from them. In other words, they're going to get it refunded. They're going to get interest. They're going to have penalties all right. Anyway, there's a lot there in uh, Nehemiah chapter five. So this whole concept of surety, mostly it's rebuked in the wisdom literature because it's it's in the negative uses of araf. They're negative uses of araf, not for the activity itself, but for the partners that you've chosen for that activity, the the friend, uh, friends or the uh, neighbors or the enemies. No place for this binding. No place for these obligations. Family, though, that's another matter. For family, you should take. Family has to take care of family. All right. That's what we'll see as well. Now, the other term is uh, clapping of the hands. Uh, I don't really mind the translation here in, in Daniel six one, uh, as far as taking a pledge. I think is how it's rendered. Given a pledge. Okay, so become surety or given a pledge largely it 's a parallel term it 's a parallel expression it 's used in parallel in uh, all those places we 've already seen the verses. Tokak is the uh, verb to clap or to slap, and uh, the cough is the hollow of the hand and so that's uh, you know when you get that good firm handshake you 've actually made a bit of a, of a of a seal even when you and you pull it apart. What do you got? Got a bit of a seal that's broken there. Anyway, that's the clapping of the hollow of the hand. And you are sealing the business arrangement with uh, the sealing or clapping of of the hands. And uh, we've already seen all these passages. Job 17, 3, Proverbs 6, 1, Proverbs 11, 15, 17, 18, and 22, 26. Every one of those uses matches the Arav vocabulary that we've already looked at. All right, now... Thirdly, we have to be careful when we say, well, what's the difference? How come in some cases it's positive, but in most cases it's negative? What's the the difference? Well, the difference is the partnership that you are linking yourself to. So sub point C now, the dynamic between friends and brothers and I'm interchanging because the text does, friends with neighbors. Okay, Sometimes the, the the term is translated friend, sometimes the term is translated neighbor. Okay? Could even be rendered as shepherd. <laughs> Did you know that? Or uh, it's the, uh, I think rate right is the Hebrew on that. But um, The dynamic between friends and brothers is often compared and contrasted. And there are several, particularly in, in Psalms and Proverbs, friends and brothers are sometimes linked Sometimes the the, the contrast is a positive contrast. It's a great comparison between friends and brothers. And sometimes a friend can be closer than a brother. However, and neither friends nor brothers are called strangers except, except in the matter of surety. It's the only realm in Scripture where uh, we we drive a wedge between friends and brothers and we take these friends and we put them in the stranger box. (laughs) Okay? If that's making sense. Neither group is connected to strangers except in the matter of surety. In the matter of surety. In other words, in the matter of financial obligations, binding financial contractual obligations then we do observe a distinction between the friend and the brother. And we count the friend as a stranger. We'll describe that as well. Got a couple of sub points that go with this also. So, um, some of these will hopefully be familiar to you. Psalm thirty-five, fourteen. See, we're to love our neighbor, love our neighbor as ourself, to love, uh, I mean, we have, we are blessed to to please the Lord and to serve the Lord by how we treat our neighbors in grace, how we treat our neighbors um, in different things. But we, we must count them as strangers if our neighbor is, is um, trying to enslave us to his poor business decisions, okay? Our neighbor, we still love him, we still bless him spiritually speaking, but we are not going to obligate ourselves, our children, our family to their poor choices. They've got family that will have to bail them out, be surety for their bad choices. They should go to their family, they should not go to their neighbor, Anyway, we'll we'll say more on that as we work our way through. Alright, Psalm thirty-five fourteen. Here they're rather interchangeable. I went about as though it were my friend or my brother. I bowed down, mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. And so there the term friend and brother are compared favorably. It's a positive comparison at that point. Talking about um the betrayal talking about, uh, boy, David was probably the most betrayed person until you get to Christ. Um, And yet he's worshiping. He's celebrating. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. My prayer kept returning to my bosom. So he doesn't return the evil for evil. He loved them, prayed for them, interceded for them, even though they were malicious towards him. I went about as though or were my friend or brother. Wow. Talk about unconditional love. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. You know, that's the difference. David is a man of grace and is a man of love. He saw the hardship they were going through and he grieved for them. He prayed for them. They saw his hard luck and threw a party. <laughs> they saw his downfall and his stumbling and wow. Time to, uh, time to throw a party. All right. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Friends and brothers. We already peeked at this one, remember? Because we were in Proverbs 17, 18. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. If you're going through a tough time in life, sure. You want your friends around, you want your brothers around. If they're there for you, you find out who a real friend is. So a friend loves at all times. Not just a fair weather friend, not just somebody that departs in, in the tough times. And a brother is born for adversity. Okay? There's an application of wisdom, that's to be expected. Another positive comparison between friends and brothers. They are compared favorably in that link. Neither one is considered a stranger. Alright. Next chapter, 18.24. Proverbs 18.24. Oh, here's a good one. This one I think is messianic and eschatological. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. <laughs> but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay? There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I think messianically we have a, a prophecy of the Christ in uh, some respects. I may change my mind on that by the time I study the chapter more thoroughly. But notice all the different uh, relationships here, right? The uh, Let's see. Verse 19, "...a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city." Contentions are like the bars of a citadel. Uh, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord in verse 22. The poor man utters supplications, but the rich man answers roughly. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. More on that. Chapter uh, 27 in verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Now why is your father's friend important to you? It's not your friend, it's your father's friend. Ah, but your father's family. All right. Start to see the link. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. And we'll have to work on that when we get to chapter 27. Um what if the, the distance is too far and uh, the neighbor is, uh, is there? Anyway, we'll talk about that as well. So we have a dynamic between friends and brothers. Oftentimes they're interchangeable. Oftentimes they're, they're both positive. Nothing negative about either one. Neither one would be considered a stranger. All right. And they may be available for help. But in Proverbs 6 we're told that the the, uh, friend, that is the neighbor, is linked to the stranger for the matter of surety. Okay? Now I can help my brother. I can help my neighbor. But I'm not going to put myself under a binding enslavement to help my neighbor. Do you see the difference? Help? Sure. Binding enslavement? No. That's the difference. In the matter of surety, the neighbor is a stranger. See, surety may not be given for a friend or a neighbor. Surety may—that's some point one, Proverbs six one. Surety may not be given for a friend. I'll help him, and I may help him financially. It, it's called grace. It's called a gift. It's called love. It's called whatever you want to call it. But I'm giving it to him up front, and I'm not bound. I'm not bound. I don't have future obligations. I'm not mortgaging my inheritance, my children, my property, my my name, and my reputation. Big difference. Again, the parallelism of Proverbs 6.1 takes friend or neighbor in parallel to stranger. And we know about strangers already because that's the vocabulary for the strange woman, right? It just happens to be the masculine gender. Surety may not be given for a friend, but surety may be given for a brother. We've already seen in Genesis 43 and Genesis 44. Surety may be given for a brother. In fact, it has to in terms of the redemption obligation for kinsmen. Surety may be given for a brother. Indeed, Redemption is the obligation of kinsmen. It's the whole point to the book of Ruth. It's the whole point to the doctrine of redemption as revealed in the law, as foreshadowing the provision of our redemption by Jesus Christ on the cross. Surety may be given for a brother. Reason being is we already are obligated forget the you know the, the idea that oh well I don't want to be bound I don't want to be financially bound well you already are bound you're bound as brothers you're bound in the family so surety may be given for a brother indeed redemption is the obligation of kinsmen ruth 4 verses 1 through 12 i could really read the whole book of ruth this morning but um Let me get to, uh, let see, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I think these verses in chapter 4 kind of summarize the book and summarize the principle. Obviously the background comes in the first three chapters. But the terms are are more explicit here in chapter 4. Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. All right? Boaz was close, but he was not the closest. The closest is the Goel, all right? The others are family, but not immediate family, not close family. And it's the closest that has the first privilege, the first duty. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Interesting, he calls him friend. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Uh-oh, this must be serious. <laughs> yep, this is this is a uh, family business, but it's also a public business. It's being done in the, we would say, the courts of the day, that is the city gates. And uh, so he said to the closest relative, to the kinsman redeemer, to the goel, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. In other words, here's a duty. It's binding. There's a debt. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here that is in their presence, and in the presence of the elders of my people. That way the clan, the extended family, is, uh, is notified and it's all public as far as the property for the the tribe or for the clan within the tribe is concerned. Uh, But if you will not redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it and I am after you. And so everything being done properly, Boaz is not the closest. If he steps in here and tries to redeem it, he's stealing. He's stealing from this guy. This is the guy with the privilege and the duty to redeem the uh, the mortgaged property. And so Knucklehead says, I will redeem it. Okay, I don't know that's his name, but that's what I call him. Because this is the chump who could have been Ruth's husband. all right, And who uh, passed on uh, a godly woman like this. All right. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field, uh, so he says, I'll do it <laughs> until he finds out about uh, Naomi and Ruth here. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. See, uh, Naomi's old enough and not a problem, but Ruth, ooh, wait a minute. She's too young, and and I'm going to have to have babies here, and that's, ooh. (laughs) See, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Guess what, buddy? You're not adding to your property here. You're a caretaker now for Elimelech and his property. All right, and uh, so the closest relative, the goel, said, "I cannot redeem it for myself." And I think it's a lie. I think it's, "I will not redeem it for myself," but he says, "I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance." Okay, now here's the thing: if you are becoming surety for someone, your stuff's in jeopardy. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Of course your stuff's in jeopardy. You're becoming surety for them. Yes. You're bound. You may get hurt. The point is, are you willing to get hurt? For family, if you get hurt, you get hurt. See, for family, you're already bound. You're bound spiritually. You're bound in a family uh, in the family design, okay? I'm out of time. We'll pick up on this next week because I, I want to kind of discuss laws of divine establishment, why God created volition, why He created marriage, why He created family, why He created nations, okay? And when you start to talk about the, the society at large, you've gone beyond the realm of family now into the public life of politics, the public life of, of uh, society, and there's things that you don't go there with, things that stay in the family. All right. Father, thank you for this day, for this hour, for the uh, health and strength to uh, to complete this class. Father, uh, please step in, Father, if there's anything that was said incorrectly or uh, not biblically related to some of these later chapters of Proverbs. We, we'll get there. We're just not there yet. So, Father, be faithful in the communication of your truth. Don't allow your children to be led astray. Don't allow uh, your word to be impaired by any human weakness on the part of the hearer, or on the part of the speaker. Thank you for being faithful, Father. Thank you for being powerful. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.